0: Weeks. But we've been in a series for, for five weeks now on our core values. And, and I've said before that kind of core values are these things that sort of dictate how we go about ministry. So if our mission is equipping people for kingdom release, that's the goal, that's the aim, that's the destination. If we, when we achieve our mission, a vision is what it looks like when we get there, that, that we would transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel. You guys have heard me say this before. But values are these sort of unspoken things. We don't put values really on the wall. But you see them by what we choose to do and by what we choose not to do. These are core values. Everybody has them, whether you know them or not. You live by a set of values. If you are a family first person, anybody family first? Nope? Okay. Well, that didn't work. If you're a family first person, right, your money goes to your family first, your time goes to your family first, and so you will not do things in order to give your time and energy and money to your family, right? You will do certain things if it promotes family togetherness, right? Like we go on family vacations. This is a value. Whether you've thought about it or not, you all live out of core values. We as a church do too. So in, in, uh, in our previous messages, we have talked about our core values of worship, that we want to be people who intimately worship God and that, that we've talked about our value of community, that, that we do everything in community. There's no such thing as solo Christianity. Nowhere in scripture do you find Christians who are not in community. It's just sort of, a, it doesn't exist. The, the third week we talked about authenticity and how we have to be really who we are, that we bring exactly who we are. We don't try to pretend to be somebody else. Last week I talked about compassion, this idea that we would, that we would move in compassion towards the last, the least, and the lost. This week, we're going to talk about discipleship. And, and really, when I say that, some of you will go, oh boy, here he goes, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Because in 2019, especially with this huge missional focus, and especially in this city, this is sort of like our thought, right? Like, and so everybody's like, what's the discipleship sermon? Go and make disciples, right? That's the discipleship sermon over and over and over and over and over again. And I've preached that message. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that message, but I kind of had a sense today that what we ought to do instead is look at what it means to be a disciple, like, I think a lot of times we take that Matthew 28, 18 to, 30, to 20, and we're like, well, you guys really need to make disciples. You need to go make disciples. Let's go make disciples. Disciple, disciple, disciple. We need to reproduce. Make the blah, 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 right? And you kind of go, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's what it says. But I think that, that it's not so much that, that people don't want to make disciples. I don't think that that's the case at all. I think if you're a follower of Jesus, every last one of you would read that and go, you know, I really should make disciples. That's that's a thing. Sure, that's a thing I should do. But here's what I think happens. I think we come to this place of a little bit of intimidation and we kind of go, well, I don't exactly know what it means to be a disciple. I personally don't think I'm a very good one. And maybe I should learn some more things about what that means before I do it. And so we sort of, for whatever reason, invalidate ourselves. And I think today what I would like to talk about is what it is to be a disciple. Because before we're going to make disciples, we have to be disciples. You can't reproduce what you're not. I think a lot of us don't know me, don't get me wrong, most of us are, are converted, we've We've prayed the prayer, we've we've done the things that churches have told us, but what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? Like, What does that look like? The word, before we get into the scripture that I want to talk about, the the word for disciple is metereis. It's a Greek word, I probably didn't even pronounce it right. That's okay. I tried a Greek word last week too, if some of you remember. But it means student learner. It means apprentice. That we would be people who are lifelong learners, apprentices, students of Jesus. And my, the, the whole point that I want to make today is discipleship is lifelong loving obedience to Jesus. But that's what you're invited into. A lifelong loving obedience to Jesus. We're going to look at the end of the Sermon on the Mountain throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about what it is to be a disciple. He's talking about discipleship. And as we come to the end of the sermon, Jesus tells a couple of really quick stories, like he's prone to do. He tells a lot of stories. And so we get to the end of the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he tells a quick, couple quick stories to make a point. And we're going to look at Matthew 7, beginning of verse 21. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you can walk up here and grab one of these over here. Otherwise, It's going to be on the screen. Matthew 7, beginning of verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When I read this passage of Scripture, quite honestly, it makes me uncomfortable. You know, it makes me uncomfortable. I feel like I want to say to Jesus, well, you know, I've done enough stuff, right? Right? They told me I had to pray a prayer. I prayed a prayer. I come to church. I drop money in the basket. I don't do that. I actually do it online, right? I'm, I'm, I'm hip. I'm with it. I have it auto-debited, man. That's the way to do it. This is not a sermon on money, but but I've done enough stuff, right? Like, at some level, haven't I done enough? Like, haven't I, haven't I lived into this enough? I mean, beyond that, like... in most rooms that I show up in, most rooms I show up in, I have a story that's different than everyone else's. Most rooms that I show up in, especially with Christians, most of those people have never sold their house, left their career to plant a church. Most people have never done that. Most rooms I'm in, that is entirely unique. And it actually surprises me when people are like, wow, you're really laying it out there. And I'm like, I just am, I feel like I'm just doing the thing I'm supposed to do. But most, like I've done a lot for, like I would say I've prayed for hundreds, if not thousands of people. I've seen people get healed. I've actually cast demons out of people. And so at some level, there's part of me that wants to go, Jesus, haven't I done enough? Like, can't I just sort of like mail it in, you know? Aren't I good enough? Haven't I done enough stuff? Don't you think I'm I'm good enough? And it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That should, that should cause us to sit up and take note. You ever read passages of scripture that make you uncomfortable? Read Hebrews. I mean, just just read, I mean, it's like 13 chapters, and it will scare the crap out of you if you've been a Christian for a while. Honestly. You'll say, Well, didn't I do the thing? Aren't I in? Can't I just sort of check that box? Like, yeah, did that. I'm secure. Got my fire insurance policy. It ought, to, it ought to, at the very least, and I'm not trying to scare you. Don't hear me wrong, okay? But it ought to cause us to sit up and take note when we see these things that say, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to be in the kingdom of heaven that there are people who live their lives going, I'm good, I'm in, I did the thing, who will meet Jesus on Judgment Day and he'll say, not you. I mean, let that soak in for a second. I know we kind of want to go, well, you know, that's not Jesus. Jesus loves everybody. I think it's true that Jesus loves everybody and at the same time, he said it. Like it ought to cause you to go, well, wait, wait wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm a little uncomfortable with this. You know, there are certain passages of Scripture that, that require a little bit of, you know, con- a little deeper context, a little bit more understanding. We kind of need to dig into culturally what's happening uh, to understand like exactly what it means before. Let me assure you, this is not one of them. This is one of those passages that when Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, he means it. It's not like you go, well, if you look at the Greek, it's, uh, it actually means not everybody who, there's, there's nothing, there's just nothing. Like, do you feel that? Do you actually feel that? This is Jesus talking. Now, some of these people that he's talking about are probably people that we would go, you know, they raised their hand, they prayed the prayer. If I'm counting, I would go, it's a conversion. Check, mail that one in. There's one. That there's something about that that falls short of what Jesus intends. And my point here is that conversion is not the goal. I've heard a lot of people, I've heard a lot of talk about, well, how many salvations did we have? How many conversions did we have? Let's make sure we count those things. Do you know Jesus doesn't ever tell us to count that? Conversion's not the goal. Well, How many salvations did you have? I don't know. We'll see when we get there it's not the goal. And before we decide that we're all safe, before we go, well, you know, I'm in the vineyard, so I'm good. I'm safe. I'm, I'm a-okay. Let me just like call you to read Paul, Paul, like Paul's saved, right? Like when you go, Paul, he's, he's good. Paul's safe. Paul doesn't have anything to worry about. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is concerned about being disqualified. Hello? Paul. So what's Jesus talking about? How do I know if it's me that's left behind? I don't like those books. It's my, it's my poor attempt at humor. Just had like little levity. It's like, everybody's like, are you telling me I'm going to hell? I'm not saying that. Look again at what it says. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What Jesus is saying is, talk is cheap. It's not enough to get someone to pray a prayer. He's not after converts, he's after disciples. People who will live their lives in alignment with the will of God. Jesus is pointing to a reality that's really hard to get Protestants to buy into. Catholics get it. What Jesus is saying is what you do matters, the works that you do matter. Now, before you write me letters and send me new text messages and hear me correctly, Salvation is absolutely a free gift from God. Absolutely, without a doubt. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is absolutely a free gift from God, but you can't earn it. But the measure of salvation, the measure of salvation is the works it produces. I think I'm making this up. Let's look at what James, the brother of Jesus says. Verse 26 of chapter 2, he says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. What you do matters. Friends, conversion is not the goal. Conversion is one step on the path to discipleship. Discipleship is the goal. So if this is the goal, what is discipleship? You're like, come on, turn a corner, man. I'm I'm not really sure about all this. If, if that is, let, let me point out two things that Jesus teaches us in this passage that mark discipleship. Look with me at verse 22. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. These people call to Jesus, Lord, Lord, they're not doing bad things. It's not like they're calling out to Jesus, Lord, Lord, and in the meantime, they have their harem, right? They say, hey, we, we're prophesying in your name. Hey, we're, we're healing in your name. We're casting out demons in your name. We're doing miracles in your name. These are good things. These are God things. These people are people of action, which is more than we can say for much of the American church, Honestly. And when they hold their deeds up to Jesus, he says, away from me, you evildoers. You're like, Derek, I thought this was getting better. I don't feel any better yet. Why does he say that? What went wrong? I mean, if you fast forward three chapters later, what does Jesus tell the disciples to do when he sends them out? He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. It seems like they're doing what he said. Doesn't it? So why were they left out? Verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Here's why the first part of discipleship is intimacy with Jesus. Being a disciple requires intimacy with Jesus. Where he says, I never knew you, the word here implies deep intimacy. It actually gets used in other places as an idiom for sexual intercourse. Deep intimacy, deep knowing. It's not that they did bad things, it's that they did God things apart from intimacy with Jesus. For some of you in this room, you know what that's like. If you've been a leader, a Christian leader for any amount of time, you you can probably know this feeling, right? Like some days you feel like you're at the top of the wave, right? Jesus is like pushing you forward and you're like, you're just leading people out of just so much intimacy with Jesus. You're Preaching is on fire because you're just like, Jesus has like grabbed your lips and he's doing this with them. <laughs> and you're worship leading, like your hand just does things and, and like the Spirit of God falls on the place and you're like, wow, right? And then there are those seasons where you're like, I don't know if I even know Jesus anymore. If you've been a Christian leader for any amount of time, you know that. Some of you today are in that place. That's where you are. You're in this place of like, I don't even know if if I know Jesus right now. And if that's you, can I just say something to you? Just me and you, just the two of us. The scary part of this is that it will feel like you're okay. It will feel like you're okay because do you know what? Jesus so loves the people that you lead that even when you suck, he will move. That's a good thing and it's a bad thing, isn't it? I can stand up here and preach so far from Jesus and people will get saved. People will surrender their lives to Jesus and walk out. You guys, some of you guys know Rob Morgan. The lady that led him to Jesus, if you, I mean, if you haven't ever heard that story, I don't have time to tell it right now, led him to Jesus, she doesn't believe in God at all anymore. God will use you in whatever room that you get placed in and the person who misses out is you. It's a scary place to be in. And can I just say, your number one job is to rediscover intimacy with Jesus. Your number one job. Clear your schedule. Stop doing everything else you're doing. You need a connection to Jesus. That's your number one job. Take whatever measures it takes to rekindle intimacy with Jesus. Discipleship requires deep intimacy with Jesus and being known by Jesus. One of the primary ways that you can do this, how many of you would say, I have a a regular quiet time with Jesus? If I looked at my calendar, about half of you, one of the ways you can start doing this is to develop a regular quiet time with Jesus. Take your calendar, you can pull your phone out right now even if you want to. Decide when you're going to do it, take a 30 minute window and just put Jesus every day. Pick a 30 minute window that you're not going to get distracted in and just put Jesus. you put it on capital letters. I mean in some of these you can put an emoji right by it. Like a kissy face or something. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Put Jesus on your calendar for 30 minutes every day. Just take 30 minutes. And if you don't know how to get started, let me just sort of give you how I, for years, I did the exact same thing. For years, I get a Bible, a pen, and a piece of paper. Notebook. If you want to keep track of it over a long period of time. I think it's helpful. Take your, take your Bible, your pen, your notebook into your, your, your quiet space and get quiet before the Lord and say, God, would you come and speak to me through your word And if you've never done this before, I would start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Just just sit down with this and begin to read slowly and deliberately. This is not reading for accomplishment. This is reading for intimacy. We're just waiting for God to respond, right? God has drawn us to this place. We're reading and we're waiting for God to speak something to us. So you read until something begins to jump off the page at you. And I always, if you're not comfortable with it, I mean, some of you don't like writing in your Bibles, but underline. Like, write, write stuff in your book. Underline that passage, and then take your notebook and write that passage or that little section of Scripture on a page. I'd put a date so you remember. I mean, you can draw pictures if you want. And then ask God, why is this jumping off the page to me? What are you trying to say to me? And then I always write observations, just things that jump out. And then I write some application, like, God, how do you intend to use this in my life? What do you want to do in my life with this? And then I always wrote a prayer. So write the scripture, the observation, the application, and a prayer. If you want, you can use the word soap. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. And at the end, you just pray through whatever God has shown you or spoken to you. This is a great way to get started if you don't have a quiet time. Put it on your calendar and do it. But it's intimacy with Jesus. So the first first part of discipleship is intimacy with Jesus. The second part is obedience to Jesus. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... And Jesus contrasts that with the person who hears the words and does not put them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. In intimacy with Jesus, we hear the voice of God. God begins to speak to us. We hear what God is calling us to, but it's not discipleship until we obey. So long as we're still holding out, making the decisions about whether or not we want to do this, we're not disciples yet. We become disciples when Jesus can say, "Do this," and we do it. This is what it is to have a king. The king tells you what to do, and you don't argue; you just do it. It's not about what you know; it's about what you do with what you know. So much of what we do in the church in this country involves filling people with more and more knowledge. Any of you like? You ever? You got a bookshelf? Everybody got a Christian bookshelf? You got one, two, three. Got a room. More, more knowledge, right? We're so children of the enlightenment, aren't we? Man, if we just give people enough knowledge. But here's the problem. Most of us are educated far beyond our obedience level. I know I am. I know way more stuff than I live out. I would encourage you to take stock of where you are. Jesus gave the great commission. Here's uh, here's what we live like he said. Here's what we think he said. We think he said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything. Teaching them everything. Here's what he actually said. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And there's a world of difference between the two. But if we live our lives... With this enlightenment mentality, it's like, hey, if I just give them more information, they'll move, right? If I just give them more information, they'll do the right things. And if people aren't doing the right things, well, they just must need more information, right? This is what we do. We just throw more information at it. And if we're honest before the Lord, we know that's not how it works. If we're really honest before the Lord, we know that's not how it works. If I don't share my faith, you telling me more information about how to share my faith is not going to make me share my faith. What it it takes is actually moving into it, right? How many of you, like some some of you know I fly airplanes for a living. How many of you would be comfortable getting on an airplane with me if I said, hey, I sat in a classroom for 40 hours and they told me all about aerodynamics and they told me all about, you know, you pull back, the houses get smaller, you push forward, the houses get bigger, right? <laughs> they told me all about how the airplane works. We studied all the theory. I have been educated beyond belief on the theory of how airplanes fly. How many of you be com- comfortable getting on the airplane with me? And you laugh, Why? Because you know that just because you know a lot of information doesn't make you a pilot. Why do we think it would be different with following Jesus? That somehow more information about Jesus is going to make me a disciple when it's obedience. I actually have to do the stuff that Jesus did. I have to live the life. Jesus didn't just invite me to know a bunch of things. He invited me into a different kind of life. One of the biggest complaints I've gotten around our small groups and uh, Discovery Bible format, our Discovery Bible study format, is that it's just not deep enough. We just don't get deep enough. People want deeper. You like that? I just like to make her laugh. She's my favorite. (laughs) We need deeper study. We need deeper knowledge, right? And here's the problem. Here's the real problem with this. I have yet to find anybody in this church who is 100% obedient to the teachings of Jesus. And we're just talking about the basics. Just the basic stuff. So what are we going to do with deeper study if we haven't mastered the basics? Trick ourselves into thinking we're further than we are? I mean, just look at the Sermon on the Mount. Like we're just, not the whole book, just like four pages of the book. Let's just look at four pages of the book. Jesus says this, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anybody still struggling with anger? What about this, guys? Anyone who looks lustfully on a woman has committed adultery. Anybody still struggling with lust? Do not swear an oath. Any of you still having trouble with honesty? Honesty. Give to the one who asks. Anybody having trouble with being generous? Love your enemies. I mean, do I need to go? I mean, that's just chapter five. We could keep going, couldn't we? And here's the point that I want to make. We could probably spend the rest of our lives trying to master the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. To become obedient to everything Jesus says in four pages of this book. Right? What do you want deeper teaching for? Why don't we get obedient to the basics and then we can talk about deeper stuff. And I'm not dogging like deeper understanding of scripture. I, like I, I'm not dogging that. But what I'm saying is until we're obedient to this everything else is just sort of fluff. There's never a point in your life, where this ceases to be true. That following Jesus is an invitation to lifelong intimacy and obedience to Jesus. It never changes. In fact, the longer you do this, the more you go, is this ever going to get better? (laughs) Right? Anybody, you can agree with that? Some of you like, sometimes like, man, I feel like I'm still struggling with the same thing. I'm still trying to love my neighbor as myself. I love myself pretty good. My neighbor, however, maybe our reelected mayor can do something about my neighbor. (laughs) Love you, man. We're all invited into this. Do you know that? We're all invited into this. Lifelong discipleship. It's intimacy with Jesus and it's obedience to Jesus. And honestly, I think if we, if we would lean into that, you want to talk about like standing up here and beating people over the head with Matthew 28, make disciples, make disciples. So I can beat you over the head with that for the next 10 years. But here's the deal. Until you get this part, you're not going to know what to do. And once you get this part, it's part of obedience to Jesus. He just sort of like propels you out. Intimacy with Jesus will give you a heart for lost people because he seems to love them quite a bit. We got to have something to give away.